Welcome to X's and O's NBA Breakdown, the podcast where we take a deeper look into teams, coaches, and trends of the NBA. I'm your host, Coach Mark Tinklenberg. It's time to settle in and enjoy as we talk about the league. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of X's and O's NBA Breakdown. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Cavalier Central, Risen Grind, 305 Culture, Blazing the Path, Hashtag Lakers, Knuck If You Buck, Spanning the Spurs, Motor City Hoops, LA Hoops, Thunderous Applause, and the Wizards Hoops Analyst. Plus, our coaching-focused podcast, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and the Green Light. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. I had the power to turn back time. I would never use it. Uh, think about it. Because then every moment that you go through means absolutely nothing, but you can always go back and do it. So it loses its flavor. It loses its, its beauty. And things are final. You know, moments won't ever come again. January 26, 2020. Uh, the passing of Kobe Bryant, his daughter, Gianna, and seven others on that helicopter uh, brought us together tonight at X's and O's NBA breakdown to remember uh, our favorite player, but was so much more than that to the city of Los Angeles and Laker fans. And, and as we would come to find the NBA, the WNBA um, basketball at any level across the country, both boys and girls, Kobe Bryant speaking about what it would be like to go back in time and thinking about, you know, if he could go back and redo anything, would he? And uh, hearing that brings chills to to your body and and uh, kind of numbs you a little bit. And just a year ago, we lost him, but but this episode is dedicated to him and and what he meant to us and what he meant to uh, others. And uh, Mike, I'm going to let you kind of start and tell me what, what was your memory about January 26th, 2020? Yeah. And, and on this episode, you and I are just going to go, uh, we're going to play one-on-one here. Um, Zach figured it would be a good idea as the two resident Laker fans of this pod to, to kind of go through our memories and, and what, what Kobe meant to us, and then give our thoughts on, on what we saw for the rest of the league. And again, like you said, the WNBA. So I'm, uh, I'm happy to be sitting and talking with you about it. Um, but I, this is going to be tough because a, a year ago uh, today, um, we were watching, we were watching the Lakers and uh, LeBron past Kobe on the all-time scoring list. And, you know, he put out later that night, there was a tweet uh, between Kobe and LeBron, and he just said, uh, 
you know, keep it up. And, and it was a great moment. And the next day, um, my family and I, I have, I have two kids, two daughters, and my wife and I went to uh, a local like children's and science museum here in Columbus. Um, it's called COSI. And it's great. It's one of our favorite places to go. And we were having a, a great time. And I actually had um, somebody that I work with uh, texted me, have you seen the news? And I was like, I, I didn't, I didn't know what she was talking about because I was again, having a family day, not 10 seconds after that, you texted me and said, Kobe's dead. And, and I, I just kind of stopped. I said, there's no way, there's no way. This is one of those things where it's going to be, it's going to come out that, Oh no, he's not really. So, da, 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 da. so I'm, I, I excused myself from what we were doing. I went into the little cafeteria there and I just start Googling like crazy. I'm like, and, and facts start coming out. Um, and what I learned afterwards is always believe TMZ when they report because they have uh, connections within uh, the police department and those types of spots. And they reported it. Um, and then the rest of that day was kind of a blur. It was, um, and I'm, I don't want to be too hyperbolic about it, but it really was, um, it, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of, um, I was a senior in high school, 1991. And for those of you that have listened to this before, you know that I'm a big Magic Johnson fan. Uh, November of 1991, um, actually, I just graduated. Magic Johnson uh, announces that he has the AIDS virus, the HIV. And it was just sort of that gut punch. But I've been, I was able to watch him um, grow and, you know, continue to go. But Kobe, once I found out, I like I had to, I called off work on Monday. I'm like, I, I've got to, I've, got to take a little bit of time with this. And, and, and part of it is actually the majority of it for me, which we'll talk about a little bit later, Deanna was in there with them. And that was just heartbreaking. Um, so I was around my daughters and I will tell you what, um, when I went back out there, I gave them a huge hug because it's a reminder, you never know. You never know. How about you? Yeah, I distinctly, um, I distinctly remember being in uh, the basement and I was watching something. Um, and I remember I was scrolling. I saw this, this tweet that said, you know, Kobe killed him in helicopter accident. And I was like, I, I remember specifically, I put my phone down. I remember vividly thinking, yeah, no, that's not, there's, that's fake. And kind of went about what I was doing down here. I was setting up our, our projector or something. And, um, and then all of a sudden my phone started going ding, ding, ding. And it just started ringing left and right. And I was like, huh. and I turned on my phone and I remember seeing, Hey, did you see, did you see the news? Like, Oh my gosh, Kobe. And I was like, 
I remember I froze and I remember everything felt numb and I instantly did what you did. And I, I looked and I texted you right away. And I was like, dude, Mike, you know, is this true? Is do you, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And you know, Kobe's dead. And um, if you don't know me, which most of you that listen do, you'll know that Kobe is my, he's our, he's my favorite basketball player to ever play. He's your guy. Um, yep. Um, you know, growing up a, a, as a kid watching him and then as an adult watching him and playing and, and seeing him night in and night out, uh, you know, when he left, <laughs> I remember his last game. I remember when he got done playing, I remember crying after the game. Cause I was like, I'll never get to see him again, like play. Um, and then the beauty of his life unfolding after basketball and the Lakers were horrible. Um, but he was turning into such a, just such a, such a great dad and such a great ambassador for the game. Um, and I remember like, I just remember being frozen and I remember kind of thinking, am I supposed to, am I supposed to really feel this deeply for somebody I've never met and somebody, <laughs> somebody I've, I've gone to four NBA arenas, five NBA arenas to go, to go watch uh, on and off on any of my off nights when I didn't have a basketball game or I wasn't coaching and, and just to watch him in Indianapolis or in Cleveland or, um, wherever it is we'd be and, and going to see him. And, and that was the extent of me being anywhere in the same, even room as him was going to watch him play, but feeling so deeply and connected. And, and that's the thing about Kobe. I think that has always stood out to me as a, you know, as after, um, his death, you see, you know, just how many people, he impacted and and it just it felt like we all lost a brother it felt like we all lost a a, a big brother and a, or, or or somebody we just cared so much about and i remember texting i remember texting chris uh and i said the next day on the 27th and i said hey do you got do you got any words of wisdom for me because you see when i was still playing and training in the summers with chris uh, those were the years that the Lakers were in the finals in 2009 and 2010. And Chris and I would be at his house watching the Lakers in the finals. And <laughs> he would always make fun of me about, you know, just how much I loved Kobe. It was probably a little bit unhealthy even. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he knew it and he would kind of give me a hell about it. And we'd joke back and forth, but I said, Hey, do you have any words of wisdom? Because for whatever reason, I just thought about you when I found out, as well because we lived this mamba together i said and he said and this will always stick with me it's it's so sad it's gut-wrenching i didn't believe it and then he said he seemed invincible to us all yeah and that has stuck with me and he said i love you bro i know how much he meant to you and to the to the people out there listening you know he was a he was godlike almost to fans and people in LA, but come to find out he was like that across the entire NBA uh, coaches, players, anybody that, that, you know, got to watch him or play against him or, or see him even post-retirement. He was just, 
he is everything that's right about basketball. Even through the downs in his career, he's everything that's right about competing and loving the game. And he gave his entire heart, soul, and body to the game. And then for him to to be done with that and be able to separate and be able to be a dad. Yeah, yeah. The invincibility was – it felt that way on the court. Um, and then just the way he just so successfully transitioned, um, to, to what he was doing after. And we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, but yeah, today, today's a tough day. Uh, but what we wanted to do is, um, walk through a little bit about what we loved first, what we loved about him as a player. He spent 20 freaking years and two different jersey numbers. Uh, you guys can't see me, but I'm wearing my 24 right now. A gift from Mark. Uh, and he's just showing me on the camera his 8 and his 24 and then his 10 Olympic jersey. Um, so, Which is want- signed. The, only, the, the main signature on the 10 Olympic jersey. That Beaut. One, that one's never leaving. Beaut. So... I want to uh, I want to talk a little bit about what what he meant to us as a player, you know, in watching him and and some of the things that we could see when he was playing, and then also transition a little bit to some of the uh, things that we heard from players both during his career, but really afterwards, uh, because that's when you know those feelings come out when you know you don't have to suit up against this guy anymore then you can say, oh, gosh, I was terrified of him. <laughs> but you can't really say that while well, he's still playing. So he came into the league young, right? He was picked up by Charlotte, uh, 13th pick, and then gets traded to the Lakers. And our boy Jerry West makes that trade because he saw something in him. Um, and if you remember that first year, he wasn't great. He was fearless, but he wasn't great. And, and I loved just watching him go out. Uh, you know, he shot those, I think it was against San Antonio where he shot those air balls in the playoffs, Utah up in Utah. And, oh, that's right. It was against Utah. And, you know, part of me is like, what are you doing? Cause I want them to win. Um, and then I'm like, Oh, that, that, that takes some, that takes some bowling balls right there to put those up in your first year. And, and he just sort of took off from there. And I remember when I watched those back, I remember everybody on the Lakers and, and stuff. You could almost sense this, like the sense of like um, other players that were during in that playoff stretch where he airballed those shots that, it's almost like they didn't understand because he probably came off as cocky and arrogant. And it's like, they didn't understand uh, what this was turning into. And it was everything Kobe did throughout his career was intentional. Um, Everything he did uh, in terms of how he prepared and, and his confidence and uh, his demeanor and his ability to, to challenge teammates, his ability to challenge other players it was all intentional and it started when he was 18 and it started because if you go back and watch the documentary that Kobe created uh, muse, he talks about how he did that 
and he started doing that as a kid in Italy where it was um, not, where it was beautiful to him. The game, as he claimed, was it was beautiful. It was like an art. And that's I think a lot of that is why Kobe was artsy all throughout and, and ended, up, <laughs> ended up getting into documentaries and movies and, and, books, um, and books and yeah. children's books, fantasy books. Yeah. Um, but it was all intentional and, and he had a lot of growing to do, um, as a player and a lot to get better at, but the fearlessness that he had, as you talked about, it never left. Now that remained from the time he was a rookie to the time he was dropping 60 in his final game, hitting vintage Kobe 20 footers, holding up that shot, the one, two dribble pull up to win in his last game all intentional, all fearless. And that's what created um, who he was. And, and as a young player, he just, um, he just continued to get better and better. And the interesting part about Kobe is that in 2002, after that playoff run, and they win the title in 2002, um, you could look back and I'm going to tell you, it was 1A or 1B for top player in the league um, in 2002 and that reigned supreme for me all the way through 2012 um, yeah as that style continued and I I'd, in 2002 he would have been like I think he was 20 what would he have been after that series he would have been 22 he would have been 22 years old he's 22 years old and he's the best player in the world. And, and that series, and it all stems back to that series from Utah and those shots. And he talks about how he drove himself to exhaustion in the off season. And I remember he came back and two years later, he's just destroying everybody <laughs> at 20 years old. So young Kobe um, was just as important. I particularly honed in and really was able to lock in and understand what he was all about as a player when he switched to the black Mamba. And I was a sophomore, junior, senior in high school. And I was able to watch basketball and start understanding more as opposed to, Oh, look at that. He can score a bunch, you know, as young kids typically do. Um, And there was not as much of a plethora of information about trading and all the ins and outs of basketball that kids get now. And, and, um, and we'll talk about the Black Mamba a little bit too, but what else about young Kobe was from your memory from watching him and the Lakers? I remember having family arguments with our other brothers about he's the worst, he's selfish, he's arrogant. Uh, he, this is not what we want on the Lakers. The Lakers should trade him. Uh, I remember all those conversations. I remember thinking, if you guys are watching what I'm watching or what Mike is seeing, that that is that. <laughs> It's the furthest thing from the truth. Yeah, we had some, again, to my point, I'm like, what are you doing? You're, we're, we're, we're losing this game because you're throwing up air balls, but you can't help but respect it. Like this kid's going out, he's taken over. He, he knows that he can do it, even though he can't yet, (laughs) if that makes any sense, but he knows that he can. Um, And when I go back, because I, I, I obviously remember watching, but when I go back and I watch, you know, and I, I want to have a conversation uh, in a little bit about would you take eight Kobe or 24 Kobe? But eight Kobe, I mean, 
he he was just embarrassing people. I mean, he was some of those dunks that he put on that one where he goes from between the free throw line and the bottom of the circle and just tomahawks. I can't, I wish I could remember, although the player probably rem- is glad that I don't remember because it was very emasculating. That was in an exhibition game and he oh my. took off from, uh, took off from the dotted line off two feet and jumped over the, the seven footer. Just, <laughs> I remember him. him. I remember him turning the corner against Houston yeah. And go rising up off two feet on Yao Ming and, and turning sideways in the air almost yep. and yep. punching on Yao. I remember thinking, oh, my God, he's here. <laughs> yeah, I, thought he, I thought he was going to hit his head on the backboard. <laughs> he's right? here. And he's just coming. And, and he just kept getting better and better. And what you hear afterwards, right, because you don't hear these stories at the time, but what you hear now is that he's always the first one in the gym. He's always the last one out of the gym. Uh, you know, he's there, uh, hours before other people are showing up already getting iced down from his first workout, getting ready to do his pregame workout. And we talked a little bit last time about him going to Elijah Wan to work on his footwork. You know, he is always adding something to his game because the mentality was there. And that mentality meant that he was never going to stop. He was never going to stop getting better. And he never did. He, but that eight Kobe was fearless. And he, and he knew that when somebody was lined up against him, he could see it. He could see their eyes like, Oh boy. And maybe three people in the league didn't feel that when he was friggin' 20 but everybody felt it by the time he was 22, 23, 24. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I, <laughs> I was just thinking about how, you know, he, he talked about when he was younger um, after those series that he would just be in the gym all day. He had no friends. He, like, all, he's in L.A. He's got all these young guys, people partying, blah, blah, blah. He shows up to a party one time and says, hey, I'm going to get out of here. Oh, where are you, where are you going? You going home? No, nope. I'm going to the gym. And he goes back for his third workout of the day at night, locks himself in the gym and just goes and just goes and just goes by himself. And there's something to this. And this was something I always took from Kobe. And it started from when he was young and it went all the way till the last day he played. And that is why, I think so many people have so much respect for him, but there's something to this. He knew once he started that he knew that no matter what, there was nobody that outworked him. And so you should be confident and cocky given the unbelievable athletic ability that he already has, but then he worked and then he got his footwork and then he got his mentality and you develop, you can develop that mentality. You can go from being arrogant and confident um, into killer and, and just destruction by outworking people. And that was his mantra. That was his thing. I'm going to outwork you. And then when I see you on the court, I already know I got you beat. I got you beat here in my head and I got you beat physically and I'm going to beat you to every angle and I'm going to hit every shot that I need to hit. And I'm going to, he studies hours of film and he was just, he was just different. Right. And it was, it, 
it has completely changed and shifted looking back now basketball as a whole he was just different not even mj did that stuff i mean mj talked about how he would study some of that stuff uh but kobe was obsessed about it and well mj would go to vegas for a weekend right and 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 there was a difference and and even mj knows that 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 Kobe was different, you know, there was a different level. Um, and part of that, in fact, a lot of that went into how we thought, not us, but how he was portrayed because, you know, he was portrayed as aloof and erudite and uh, too intellectual. And he speaks three languages and he never goes out. And so and so you would hear from teammates after they left, oh, he's so tough on us and he doesn't do the things that we do. But that's because all he was doing was hooping. That's it. And, you know, for those, for, I, 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 don't, I don't know what that looks like uh, in anything, much less just basketball, being able to hyper-focus on that. But when people aren't doing that, it's easier to get bitter than to get on board. And that's what people did with Kobe. They would get, they'd be like, oh, he's so tough. And we hear about how he yells at Dwight Howard. And you see those things in practice where he's calling people soft. Well, they are. And it's easier to talk about, oh, well, he wasn't very nice or he wasn't this or that, as opposed to getting in the workout with them or not going out and doing those things. Now, look, we're going to, there were, there were parts of Kobe you know, there were periods of time with Kobe where we know he made some bad decisions. And it created out of that a man. And he had to create um, what we came to find out as pure destruction on the league was the Black Mamba. So take a listen. I love that. First of all, I love that for a multitude of ways. It, man, I get the chills just hearing him talk about that because it's the second part of his career. It's the, it's the turning point, as you said, um, after a mistake that he made when he was young. Um, and it was uh, self-identified, which to me makes it even better for him. And I'm going to start out this little segment about uh, the switching to number 24 and Black Mamba as the baddest, meanest, relentless basketball player that I will ever watch until, I, until I'm gone 
I will never see, and I can guarantee it, I will never see another basketball player um, that I saw with the Black Mamba. Um, it was, it was just absolute. Um, it was basketball perfection, and it was. When my kids get a little bit older, I will always show them how he played as number 24 specifically, because it's who I studied. It's who I watched. It's who I obsessed about um, when I was playing and figuring out how to be a leader and figuring out how to be competitive and figuring out how to master my own craft, which it wasn't at the NBA level. Uh, it was at the college level. And, and no matter where it is, uh, it's important because he gives people the blueprint. Um, not everybody has it in them. You know, I didn't, I, I'm, I'm not even close. As you said, I, I, can't, I can't replicate that type of obsession and that type of focus. Um, but 24 to me was, uh, I, I will always argue 24 was the best basketball player I've ever seen. Um, and that includes Michael Jordan. And, and I've always said it, and I, I mean that, and I always will. Now, overall, I don't know. But I'm just telling you, 24 is the best basketball player I've ever seen. Hey, hoop heads. We all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spelled A-R-Y-S-E. And use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. He was a bad man. He, uh, you know, I when, when he was able to, and we've talked about this, but when he was able to harness his physical gifts and match them with his intelligence for the game and then throw that into the blender of his work ethic, he, he, was, he was almost, certainly offensively, the perfect basketball player. He could shoot from outside. His form was spotless. He would always square up uh, no matter what angle he was jumping from, you know, just talking nerd basketball stuff His all his shoulders were always square. Um, he, his footwork, as we talked about before, impeccable. And there are some other that could potentially do parts of that. And there actually there's, there are lots of players that have been very good at parts of those things, but there was a 10 year stretch, eight year stretch 
where he could have won MVP every year. He, he was tearing through the league on a not very good team um, and just carrying them to whatever success they had wins the MVP in 2007, but he could have won three, four, five more of those. And, and that, you know, we talk about who are the greatest players ever for a five-year stretch. Mm. That five-year stretch was because he had, he was physically in his sweet spot still. And I mean, good or bad, that, moment where he had to not care about what anybody thought anymore in order for him to emotionally survive. That was, that was hammer to steel and that sharpened him. And from then on, you know, he always had that one, two, and he always had that. I know I can, but from then on, he was, he was unstoppable. How many other players learn other languages so that they can get in the minds of opponents? Right. <laughs> that's, right. The, that's the unhealthy obsession I'm talking about. <laughs> but it's the stuff that it's the stuff. It's the legend of Kobe. I mean, it, it's what makes him. He ha, he's his own in the basketball world especially in the NBA world, there are a select few that have their own kind of legend behind them. And Kobe was that from, from 2000 to 2020, Kobe was his own little legend. And um, there's not many that have that. I, I can think of maybe one or two that players just, can tell stories about his greatness and about his, his work and about, you know, how he, um, how he planned and how he, how he uh, um, approached every game and every opponent. Um, And I just, I miss, I miss, I'm always going to miss watching him play, but most of all, I'm I'm going to miss hearing him be able to tell more of those stories um, that we've heard so many people. I, I mean, trainers that he worked with couldn't even keep up with him. Uh, you know, he the, he'd be calling trainers at three o'clock in the morning saying, where are you? You're late. I mean, yeah, uh, trainers like, wait a minute. Uh, what do you mean? And just never getting bored with the basics and caring about the work and so many now with social media and the way basketball is seen today, it, it's a highlight reel. And Kobe had plenty of highlight reel plays. But what made Kobe great was that he never got bored with the basics. It was footwork. It was beauty. It was perfection. It was, you know, it was perfect form. It was, as I said, perfect, perfect footwork, studying, um, studying the basics to create this, this massive masterpiece of work. And that's what I'm going to miss the most about Kobe, just tacking on to what we were talking about. It's I'm going to miss being able to hear him tell those stories now um, 
because the stories are legendary, man. And uh, 2-4 will always be in our minds and, and it will always be my basketball memory. So do you know the story of 24? Like why he chose that? One better than 23, man. That's what I thought. <laughs> I'll set him up. You swing away. <laughs> um, and that, that obsession with the beauty of the game didn't stop when he was done playing. Uh, we'll get into his, his career after basketball here in a little bit, but that, uh, that detail series, that's his baby. Incredible. And it didn't stop. And he just, he loved it so much that he would just sit down for 25 minutes and break down. I remember watching one where he's like, all right, so when you're here on the block, if you put your foot at a 45 degree angle, you're going to get a half step or a quarter step more when you go that way than having, and I'm like, um, I didn't even, I mean, that's, it's so much more above my head, but th- that, that love of the game and the craft didn't stop when he stopped playing, his body wouldn't let him play anymore. And, and when we talk about, you know, what he meant to us, let's talk a little bit about what, what we, what we felt during the time. And then afterwards was obvious of what he meant to that city and that franchise, you know, again, as a, as a 40 year Laker fan, the franchise was, was humming in the eighties, right? You had showtime and then it hit a little lull in the nineties. I mean, shout out to Vlade and Slick Nick and Eldon Campbell. Uh, But then, you know, you get Kobe, you get Shaq coming over. They build almost that perfect team with Ori and Rick Fox and D fish it was it was a perfect sort of mix, and then all those folks went away. And who's the constant? Kobe. And he had a time right when he was he was frustrated with the organization, and he he was like, "Let's let's make this work. I need to make this work." Um, and the organization took care of it. Jerry West again brings in Powell, who is you know, Kobe's brother. I mean, he had a couple of close folks, right? He had Powell. He had uh, Lord Rob Palenka. And really MJ. And and MJ too, which we found out in the last dance. Yeah, and that was really it. Yeah. And a couple of close friends. But that city, I mean, I watched not long ago, and I know you watched this probably once a quarter, his last game. And the celebrities that came out for that, how electric that was. I mean, it was louder than any Lakers final game I ever watched. Yeah. Ever. The electricity in the city, they said, I mean, it was better than, than the finals in 2010 game seven versus the Celtics. I mean, it was louder. They said in that building and around that arena outside and stuff uh, for his last game. Yeah. And he, he was there for 20 years and was the face of that franchise and frankly probably set him back a year or two 
with Byron Scott there and kind of just seeding um, the spotlight over to him and those types of things. But hot damn, did he deserve it? He deserved every bit of it. Um, and he, that, that last game throwing just a vintage 60 up where, and you know, he said afterwards, he's like, I'm not, I didn't, I wasn't sure how much longer I could go. I wasn't sure if my body was going to do it. I was trying to do what I could. And he's fade away. He's hitting threes. He's hitting, like you said, that two dribble pull up from the elbow, just vintage. And, and the city loved him. The LA was a Kobe town yeah, for 20 and it, years. And it, and it still is even more probably, and it always will be. I got a player actually that plays for us right now. He's a senior in high school, grew up in the Calabasas area, moved here two years ago, trained in the summers. Mm. His AU team uh, had workouts at the Mambo Academy. I remember at, right last year was his first year in our program as a junior in high school. And I remember after on this January 27th, which was a Monday, um, I took the day off as you did. And I just wanted to, t this is just going to hit on how important he was to the city of Los Angeles. I took off as well. And I actually went to the rec center around here and I played basketball because I thought what better way for me to clear my mind and kind of remember what he was for me than to just go hoop. I remember I talked to you later that night and didn't you score 81 that day? In yeah. Five games. Yeah. in five games. And I stopped and I walked out. Yeah. I remember <laughs> you're like, uh, I feel, I don't feel great, but I feel better. And Mike, just so you know, in five games, um, I shot a three to get my 81st point and I walked out. Yep. I was like, well, there you go. I, <laughs> I, I sat around and, and cried and had a couple beers. But when practice started, he didn't come out of the locker room and um, he was in there alone. And I just remember walking back there and um, he was just sitting on a, on a stool in the locker room, just crying. And I just said, Hey man, you're all right. And you know, he, he had a story that his, um, his cousin who she plays basketball out there, um, there was a potential that she was maybe going to be on that helicopter that morning. Um, didn't end up happening. Plans fell through. Um, but that's how closely connected he was to the situation. And, you know, I don't know that he ever has recovered. Um, it was just, just devastating to watch him. And, and he said something really poignant to me that day. I remember talking to him and I just said, Hey, I, I love you and and I feel for you because I'm a, I'm a huge Kobe guy. I was born in Los Angeles and and the Lakers are my team and I'm I'm just I'm a huge Kobe fan and so I feel the pain with you and he said no you don't. And he said this is this is Los Angeles and he said it's different. And mm -hmm. I was like, "Ooh." And it just speaks to you know what he was to the city. Um I hate using the term he was a god because I don't think anybody should unhealthily worship somebody like that, but he really was. And, um, and people still are, are struggling with that. And the city of Los Angeles, uh, he makes up 
he he is a perfect description kind of of the city of Los Angeles. You know, the hard work, the grit, the grind, the determination, the, the toughness. LA is known as a tough town and and Kobe along with along with the flash. And the flash and the Hollywood and, and yeah. And the languages and the intent I mean, he's he has it all wrapped up. Could there be a better person to represent, you know, that city and the Lakers for twenty years? No. And he took pride in that. And um, and I remember going out there and and telling uh, the guy I coach with, Coach Collins. I said, "Hey, Caleb's back there." And Coach Collins said, "I was in Los Angeles for the first time this summer, and I get it. I I could feel it, even just as somebody was around it. it basketball out there, Lakers basketball, it's different. There's nothing you can't go anywhere and find that. Um, that is a that's a connection that that." I don't know any other city has when it comes to specifically Laker basketball. So um, just a cool little story that um, I'll always remember on that day too. And, and just speaks to the connection and, and the importance he was to that city. And as a quick aside, that's one of the reasons why the Laker franchise is so respected because Kobe deserved it, and they gave it to him. They gave him that year. Um, and, you know, that's why people want to – I mean, people want to play there because it's L.A. and they want to do all that, but people want to play for that franchise. They want to play for that name. They want to wear those colors. They want, uh, they want that, and Kobe helped build that. That had obviously been building, um, but he – he carried that tradition on and built upon it by staying there for so long and being the face of that franchise. And, and I, I was not in Southern California. I visited, but I was not in Southern California for, for uh, much of that time. I did live out there for two years, sort of in that sweet spot of the championship um, in, in 01 and 02. And there was a palpable energy going around because, uh, the Lakers and Dodgers out there are it. That's it. I mean, maybe there, maybe Boston matches sort of that fervor for basketball, uh, and maybe the Sox too, but there's no place like LA if the Dodgers and Lakers are doing well, like last year. Oh, Hello. Uh, just, I mean, this, this city is, is, a, is just electric for, for those two franchises, but specifically the Lakers. They've been so good for so long. Yeah. And, Co- and Kobe helped build on that tradition. So let's go into our favorite Kobe playing memory. Let's, I want to I know what your memory is. Um, I can start with mine. Um, and this is going to be odd because 24 Kobe was the one I, I studied the most. Um, but when I was a freshman in college, he was still eight Kobe. And he was taking a roster of Lamar Odom, and Kwame Brown, and Smush Parker, and <laughs> Devin George. And I, I remember um, I was a freshman in college and we were watching at our coach's house and they were playing the Phoenix Suns, one verse eight. And my favorite Kobe memory was watching them on the road. Uh, we were doing a team dinner 
And I remember everybody thinking like, oh, Lakers are going to get blown out. They, they were all talking, oh, Kobe sucks. You know, look at like, like, yeah, he's great, but he ch- he's a chucker and blah, blah, blah. And I remember, you know, they went up 3-1 in that series. But my favorite memory was that loose ball that Lamar Odom dove on, swung to Kobe. He ripped through baseline. Steve Nash tried to take a charge, and he jumped over him and dunked with his right hand and hung on the rim mm. and dropped. And I remember thinking, oh, my God. And, they, and, and listen, they lost the series, but statement was made. Like, <laughs> I haven't and, gone anywhere, yeah, like, people. I don't know why. That, just, that play is just like my favorite play that I ever saw. And it will, I just, I I could watch that play a hundred times. And I I loved, you know, you could see what Kobe was getting out of Lamar Odom and and Kwame Brown and Smush Mm -hmm. and watching Lamar dive with that left hand and sell out his body and quickly swing it to him on the floor. And then Kobe's just like, don't worry, I'll take it from here. As as Mm -hmm. Nash won MVP that year and Mm -hmm. stole it, basically, not (laughs) stolen, but. I mean, let's let's face reality. Let's stole it. He had no business, you know, winning over Kobe, and and Kobe just, just, oh my gosh, just jumping completely over him, basically, and hanging on the rim. That that is my favorite Kobe play. I mean, there's a thousand more I remember, but that one sticks out. Um, and, and maybe my 24 favorite memory was in Phoenix then later in 2009 in the Western Conference Finals. And um, Alvin Gentry was their coach. And I Mm -hmm. remember watching, and I remember him standing on the sidelines with his arms crossed, shaking his head as the Lakers took a huge lead and the Suns cut back into it, like four minutes left in the game. And Kobe, I remember, walked over the sideline with that face, didn't say anything, timeout, came back. And the last four minutes, he just hit shot after shot after shot contested Jared Dudley actually shout out to Jay Duds <laughs> guarding him. And, and I remember Kobe hitting that last one to put him up like eight or 10 with like 50 seconds left. And he does the airplane mm, down the yep. court. And I yep. just remember like, this is every shot he, t- I just remember watching him and this is my memory from Kobe. And, and I'm being serious. I know he missed his fair share of shots. First of all, he was the greatest tough shot maker in NBA history. Uh, Michael was probably the best at getting whatever shot he wanted. Yeah. But Kobe yeah, yeah. was the best at making those, like making the tough shot contested shots. Yeah. Um, and making it just seem like it was just a completely normal. Um, but I just remember the thing about Kobe that when I watched him was every shot he took, I felt like it was going in. Yep. Like every time he shot, it just, I'm like, well, that's going in. And he might have missed, but it just felt like it was going in every time. And it looked like it was going and in. It every looked time. like it was going in every time. <laughs> um, yeah, I, God, I love that man. I, I, miss, <laughs> I miss Kobe so much, man. So I got a couple. Uh, one of them is, and, and the, the highlight you always get, and we actually played this clip before but the highlight you always get is Shaq's big eyes running down the court with his arms open like look at all this but Kobe before they started calling that Iverson crossover <laughs> he destroyed Pippen nasty crossover against Pippen 
And you know Kobe could have made that shot. But the play was to get it up to Shaq because he, you know, he got the double from the big man. I don't, uh, Sabonis, maybe. Or no, Rasheed Wallace, maybe. And throws it up to Shaq and Shaq comes down with it. And it's hilarious because Kobe goes to give him five and Shaq just runs right by with his high knees and his big eyes. But that play was everything that he was. It was his speed and his uh, dribbling and his getting to the lane and making the right decision and a perfect pass to come back uh, in that game to take it. And that's, I mean, it's, I remember I jumped out of my, uh, off my couch and, and almost. That was a my... Staples Center, was it? No, it was on the road. No, no, no. It was at home, but that wasn't Staples Center yet. That was, um, was that the forum still? I think, I think it was the forum. I'm, I'm. Oh, old. that's right. Because the crowd just went bananas. Dude, it that's was the second loudest. Yes. That I've ever yes. heard any LA moment. The first loudest was Kobe's probably yeah. when the night he retired and that 60 or that 60 or to score 58. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Coming off the high ball screen. But that moment too, dude, oh that, you want to talk about a place going bonkers? <laughs> it, yeah. It, it, and, and it was, it was incredible. And they had come back in that game. They were down by, I think 20, and 20 plus and it, it was amazing i mean that that's that's maybe my favorite play now there's a hundred dunks that we could talk about but he's got those nasty baseline reverse dunks and he's you know the little flip behind the head um but the the last game obviously it makes me laugh because he goes for 58 and he gets two free throws and he talks about i I really don't want to miss these. I don't want to get stuck on 58 or 59. <laughs> you know, he's going to go out there. But my favorite Kobe play, and it's, it's, it, is, it, is, it is my least favorite and my favorite all wrapped in one, is when he blew out his Achilles. Right? Because we talked about this uh, off air a couple weeks ago. It wasn't even in prep for, for one of these. That he was... That season, he was still just tearing it up. Yeah, I will argue that was his his best year. Uh, well, specifically best like 30-game stretch. Yeah. And he was 30, 34 going on 35. Just. Um, and and he, was, he was destroying everybody. Yeah. I mean, he was still in overtime. I remember coming down the lane against Atlanta and Josh Smith at the time who was – like oh, I remember coming like coming into his own and just and Kobe splitting a screen and coming down in overtime and just right yep. hand tomahawk on him at age thirty four and just that you know that face he makes when he's running up yep. the court and it's just he's exhausted but he's determined um, and he that was a just I'm gonna we'll probably save this clip that you're talking about and this will be part of what we throw out there for our pod for people to to gain attention to but that was the best 40 game stretch I ever saw Kobe play. Yeah. Yeah, he he was yeah, he was killing it and then he takes that step. Right? And he falls. And you and you see him grab his ankle and you see him roll down 
his Achilles. He pushes it down because right when they pop, they, they, it's like a spring and it, it rolls up and he's pushing it down. And, and he's asking, he's asking Clay Thompson, did you kick me? Did you kick me? Yeah. And, and he says in the post game, uh, once he figured it out, they're like, did you know? He was like, yeah, I knew. But he hobbles over to the free throw line. He makes two free throws and walks off the court under his own power with his Achilles sliced in half. And after walking back to the huddle for a timeout, right, for a timeout, and walking all the way back to the opposite side for the free throw and walking back for the free throws. And of course he makes both of them. But when I think of Kobe, that's what I think of like that, that game, he hurt his shoulder and, and shot everything left-handed because he didn't want to come out of the game. I mean, that's the sort of borderline unhealthy obsession he had to make sure that he was, he never wanted to look back and say, coulda, woulda, shoulda. And the, the coolest part about that whole thing is that he was getting worn down. Um, and that game against Golden State, about three plays prior, like three consecutive possessions, he was on the ground. And I remember thinking, this dude, <laughs> he is spent. Like, he's giving everything he can. And, and remember, I think there's only like seven or eight games left in the season. And it was he, – he guaranteed and he made a promise to the, to the organization, to the fans, that they would make the playoffs because they were sitting yep. around below 500. And he said, I promise we will make yep. the playoffs. And that's and when that he started stretch. this tear. Um, and he was on the ground three plays in a row and grabbing his, his knee and grabbing his elbow and kept getting up, kept getting up, kept getting up. And then he took that step and he went down. And I remember watching that game live and I remember thinking, he's okay. You know, he, he stepped, he, I mean, you know, hurt his ankle, whatever. And he was kind of flexing his foot. And I was like, he's all right. And I watched him hobble around and I'm like, I remember thinking he's going to, he's going to finish this game. <laughs> There's right. no way. There's right. no way he's not going to finish this game. And he, hobbled back, like you said, and of course made them. But those free throws, the reason he shot them was because he wanted to make sure that he was doing his part to try to help them get that win. And those two free throws were actually a massive part of giving them a two-point lead, and eventually they won that game. They won that game. And also made the playoffs that year Hmm, Um, and hobbled back. And, and when he hobbled back, like you said, I remember thinking and to see Kobe with tears in his eyes, shooting those free throws. um, Anytime he is crying, which that was the only time I ever saw him cry ever Mm. um, was when he was shooting those free throws. And I can only imagine what was going on in his head at that time. Uh, you know, all the work I put in you know, the mountain I'm about to have to climb. And he talked about it after the game, but uh, 
Yeah, I didn't think about that as as a favorite memory of mine until you said it. But when you describe that, you're right because it it perfectly describes Kobe Bryant. Yeah, and he had a step on Clay. <laughs> I mean, he had the move. He was going left, and he had him. He was getting ready to pull a little yep. one-two pull up. He had yep. him on his hip. Yep. And that's why you know one of my one of my most fun plays to bring it a little bit lighter is when he goes off. Uh, one leg against Dwayne Wade from the top of the key bank shot. That one's really fun too. And, and D Wade talked about that a little bit, but yeah, that's, that's what I think about when I think about Kobe is that he rolled down, he rolled his Achilles back down (laughs) the back of his leg so that he could, I mean, maybe to try to, I don't know, but then he, he goes back out there and shoots those. So that's, you know, that's my everlasting memory of Kobe above and beyond the beauty of his game, because the difference between him and a lot of players that had a beautiful game for a while is that he put, he put in that, that hard, dirty, not fun work and never ever looked back and said, well, yeah, I could have done more. So I'm going to kind of preface this last segment um, about Kobe as I just want to say this. I, I think we all wish we could forget January 26, 2020. And quite frankly, we didn't have this platform on Kobe day, which is eight twenty four, And I wish we could do this on eight twenty four, And we probably will moving forward because quite frankly, I, I'd rather not even remember January 26, 2020, because it invokes so much emotion and um, so much. It's just, the tragedy is just, you know, it will always just be horrible to think about. And so I hate celebrating him on January 26th, but we didn't have this platform on August 24th. Right. And, and it was so important for, for us to do this for him this time, because uh, it's, it's been one year and it's been quite frankly, one of the worst years ever. I've always thought, what would Kobe Bryant be doing during COVID? Like he'd think about that too. He'd be going insane. Right. Like, like, now, he'd probably be coming up with some masterpiece that he's about to release to, to the masses. Right. But I can only imagine. Now, actually, I know what he would be doing. He'd be working with Gianna in the basketball, you know, in the basketball world and, and getting her better and getting her prepared and being a dad. I know what he would be doing. But I've often thought, God, I can't imagine how bored – Kobe B, he'd be the most cooped up human being on the face of the planet with his personality. <laughs> but I'm gonna, I'm gonna let Mike. Uh, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there that you know we're not looking to do this for for anything other than we love Kobe and, and we want to celebrate Kobe moving forward on Kobe Day, which is August 24th. Yep, um, and we will. Um, but this is our one time thing because we care about him, and it's it's a one year anniversary. So I'm gonna let Mike kind of end this. And this was something that's kind of near and dear to him. And I know this might be a little bit emotional, but the whole girl dad thing is 
it, it weighs heavy on a lot of people, especially people that are dads uh, of any kind, but more specifically dads of girls. And, and Kobe, Kobe was everything that was right about being a girl dad <laughs> and everybody's a dad in their own way. But, but to see how much pride he took in those girls and, and the connection he, he had with them. And he often talked about, you know, I did, I didn't, I never had this chance when I was a player. I didn't get to be a dad. I, I, and he loved it more than he loved playing. He said, um, and so we're going to just hear a little bit of what Kobe had to say at his Jersey retirement ceremony. And I'm going to kind of let Mike, uh, wrap this thing up and Mike, I'm here for you. If you need me. Our daughters, Natalia, Gianna, and Bianca. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I, 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 I hope that tonight is not, you know, you, you guys know that, you know, if you do the work, you work hard enough, dreams come true. You know that, we all know that. But hopefully what you get from tonight is the understanding that um, those times when you get up early and you work hard, those times when you stay up late and you work hard, those times where you don't feel like working, you're too tired, you don't want to push yourself, but you do it anyway. Um, that is actually the dream. That's the dream. It's not the destination, it's the journey. And if you guys, if you guys can understand that, then what you'll see happen is that you won't accomplish your dreams. Your dreams won't come true. Um, something greater will. And uh, if you guys can understand that, then I'm doing my job as a father. Thank you guys so much. So what we found out more of, and we saw it some when after he retired and even actually some um, when he was playing is that he loved his kids. He loved his kids and had a special connection with basketball and Gianna Um and rumor has it that Gianna was destined <laughs> to be a pretty spectacular basketball player. She had, she had, uh, she had, like Kobe said, more than more than her dreams to be um, legendary in in the WNBA. And one of the things that I loved about watching Kobe afterwards is how invested he got in the women's game. He uh, was at WNBA games. He talked to, um, to not David Stern, uh, the commissioner, about WNBA and Adam Silver, about the WNBA and reached out to the new WNBA commissioner and, and he and Gianna would go to those games and he started Mamba Academy and would coach these junior high girl teams. And there's videos and pictures and interviews with people that he would, he would be teaching them the basics and some of how they could get their footwork right. And some of those things that he learned with these 10, 11, 13, 14 year old girls that he didn't have to do, but he loved it. And when I think about what we are going to miss out on with Kobe's next act, 
he he sounds like he had it figured out. Like he did his time and he squeezed every bit of juice from the orange when it came to his playing career. And unlike a lot of players that don't know what to do afterwards, he took all of that passion and intelligence and talent and moved on to pouring that into his family, into his kids. And as an extension of that, because he was a girl dad into the women's game and into the WNBA and you know, I've got two girls of my own and I've often said that, and maybe this is cause I just have girls, but one of the most important jobs in the world is to be a father for girls because you need to be for them what you know their expectation is going to be of how they're going to be treated when they, when they get out on their own and they have to see how you do that with them. And they have to see how you do that with their mom, because that's, that's the template that they have moving out into the world. And Kobe had that template down for those girls and he, from the clip, he wasn't soft. He was pushing them. He was pushing them to be who he knew they could be just like he did for himself, but he was also soft and he was also there for them. And the stories that come out afterwards, um, like Pau Gasol and <clears throat> Rob Palenka, just saying, look guys, you, you may think you know him. This is who he was. Who he was, was husband and dad. And then all that other stuff branched off of that. Um, you know, he'd take his kids to school. A year ago, he was taking his daughter and friends to his basketball academy for a practice. And they had, or for a game, they had, they had games that weekend. And he wanted to make sure that the people around him and people in his orbit could get there and be a part of that as easily as possible. And he had done that trip thousands of times. We all remember him leaving from the Staples Center in his last game in his helicopter. He'd done it thousands of times. And one time it wasn't. And, and what I think of, I mean, staying away emotionally from those last moments of father-daughter, what I think of when I'm going to miss about him is the example that he could have set for other people on what it meant to be a father. The example that he was setting um, with that and you know, when I think of, when I think of my girls, I want them to know that I want what's best for them, that I'm going to push them to do more than they think they can do. And that at the end of the day, 
they and their mom are my first priority. And my guess is he did that some during his playing career. But you know that he put that same sort of focus and energy and desire into doing that afterwards. And that was, that was who he became. He went from eight to 24 to dad. And I'm going to miss the stories that never were because it was, it was cut far too short. So, you know, I know Mark, I talked to you um, soon after that happened last year and that, you know, that was the hardest part for me. I I'm, 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 I'm going to miss him being around, but being, um, being there with his daughter and, you know, we talked about it. I don't want to get too much into this, but, but we did talk about, you know, he was taking care of her at the, till the very end. And, and, uh, yeah, he was holding her tight. Yep. And so girl dad, uh, has always been a thing for those of us in the club, <laughs> but I love that he, um, that he brought, shined a light on it that, yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing to be. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, whether you're a girl, dad, a boy, dad, or no dad, give the ones that you love a big, big hug because they deserve it and you deserve it. And you never know. So that's, that's my girl dad moment. That, that gets me, that gets me right all up in the feels. Mamba, Kobe, Gianna, everybody on that helicopter. Rest in peace and um, at X's and O's NBA Breakdown, we thank you guys for listening. Um, And we hope that we don't ever have to do an episode like this again. But at the same time, Mike, this was this was the best thing I've done in a long time. Yeah, I was I was glad to be able to talk to you tonight. So for Mark, Mike, and Zach, Mambo on three. One, two, three. Mamba. Mamba. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of X's and O's NBA Breakdown. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please like, subscribe, or comment on any of our social media sites at X underscore breakdown. See you next week. And remember, Mambo on three.